Hey everyone, Dan McCool here from Blue Revolution. This week we're going to be talking to James Thompson, candidate for the House of Representatives in the Kansas 4th District. Hope you guys enjoy it. Welcome back guys to the Blue Revolution podcast. My name is Dan McCool, the creator and admin of Blue Revolution. We had, man, what a great week we had here in Blue Revolution. What an exciting week. Connor Lamb, the new U.S. House of Representatives member from the Pennsylvania 18th District, who won in a district that Donald Trump won in 2016 by 20 points. He won this race by 627 votes. Blue Revolution members, 31 of us, made 1,373 calls, including many people who had never volunteered on a political campaign before. So what a great, exciting week. We've got a lot of energy going into the midterm election in just 34 weeks, or I guess by the time you guys hear this, it'll be 33 weeks to the midterm election. Not a whole lot of time. We got to get our volunteering act together here. We got to make sure that we're all organized. Start thinking about what your plans are. Are you going to be knocking on doors? Are you going to be making phone calls? Are you going to be sending uh, texts to voters? Are you going to be making donations? Another thing that we're doing in the group is we're writing postcards to voters. For those of you who have gone to postcardstovoters.org, we had Tony, the founder, on our podcast last time. And uh, that's a great way to, to contact voters. You can also text JOIN to 484-275-2229. What are you going to do in 33 weeks from today? That's the big question. So start thinking about that. It's really going to creep up on us. We're going to do absolutely everything that we can here in Blue Revolution to make sure that we can flip the House and possibly the Senate, although that's a reach, but we are going to do everything we can to flip Congress blue. We have been having a really interesting debate within the progressive movement ever since Inauguration Day about where the party should be going. And I think the Connor Lamb election shows us that in order to win majorities, uh, we are going to have to elect candidates that can be crafted to their district or who appeal to the voters in their district. What a novel concept, right? How A member of the House of Representatives should represent the people uh, that she or he uh, comes from. So um, I think the Connor Lamb victory really shows us that intellectual and kind of ideological diversity in the party is a strength. Uh, and that being said, Connor Lamb was not some raging right winger, uh, as Donald Trump and the Republican Party has tried to paint him uh, over the last uh, few days since since he won the election. Donald Trump said that uh, he won because he was like Trump. Well, why didn't Trump campaign for Connor Lamb then if uh, if the two were so alike? But as has been pointed out, Connor Lamb was largely progressive on many issues. He was for universal health care. He was against the Donald Trump and Republican Party tax scam that passed a few months ago. One of the things that impressed me the most about Connor Lamb was the fact that he didn't receive any corporate or PAC money, and he got vastly, vastly outspent by his super right-wing opponent. So it just goes to show you that in the age of Citizens United, and we should get rid of Citizens United, but in the age of sort of unprecedented spending on candidates, we are finding ways to have grassroots candidates who are funded from the bottom up rather than from the top down. So this is a great lesson for Connor Lamb or a, a great lesson that we can take from Connor Lamb's campaign and apply it to other ones. Speaking of which, the person that we're going to interview today, his name is James Thompson. Uh, James Thompson is a really uh, smart, passionate 
public servant who's running for the fourth district in Kansas. Uh, he was a an attorney and he was also a, a an army veteran. And I was introduced to James Thompson. I had heard of him uh, because he nearly won his special election last year in the Kansas fourth district in 2017. He only lost by a few thousand votes in deep red Kansas. One of the moderators that we have here, Elisa, who's a wonderful, wonderful moderator. She does a lot of good work for uh, Blue Revolution, along with uh, Ben and the other guys, introduced me to James Thompson because she is volunteering for his campaign in Deep Red, Kansas. And one of the cool things that I've sort of experienced as kind of like a Massachusetts liberal is how much progressive grassroots organizing and energy there is in these Deep Red districts in America right now, ever since Trump's inauguration. It's really something to behold. Uh, I think, you know, the big spark that this group got, that Blue Revolution got, was from the Doug Jones campaign uh, in Deep Red, Alabama. We added tons of uh, people from Alabama, Alabama progressives to the group back in December. Uh, we added a bunch more from sort of um, more sort of conservative parts of Pennsylvania in the last few weeks. And uh, and one of our moderators is from is from uh, Deep Red, Kansas. And Ben, our other moderator, uh, is from uh, Georgia and uh, has lived in the South his whole life. And we've got a few other moderators also from the South. So just the uh, the kind of regional appeal that the progressive movement has right now is something that's really, really exciting. And I'm really pumped to see how this works out in 33 weeks from now. I don't know about you guys. Couple kind of house cleaning or housekeeping, I guess, items here before I, I play this interview, which I will in a second. If you guys could go to the Blue Revolution Patreon account and pledge to give uh, a little bit of a donation every month, it really helps us to do these podcasts. It helps us to free up some time so that we can organize people to make phone calls and volunteer for campaigns, which obviously we're going to be doing a lot more of uh, over the next few months leading up to the midterms. So it's patreon.com slash blue revolution. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash blue revolution. And you can find that there's many different levels that you can give. We've already had 68 blue revolution members give uh, donations, monthly donations, and we are 24% to our goal of making this truly a, a full-time job so that we can be an electoral force going into November. So please, patreon.com slash blue revolution. Uh, also follow us on Twitter at blue revolution, which is uh, zeros instead of O's. And uh, just add some more friends to the group. We just hit thir uh, 13,000 today, 13,000 people in the group. Uh, not bad for a group that just started with 50 friends venting to each other about how much they hate Donald Trump on Inauguration Day. But it's really turning into a really cool electoral force, and I'm really excited that all of you guys are here. This interview with James Thompson is really cool. I hope you guys enjoy it. Please support his campaign. Go to votejamesthompson.com. That's votejamesthompson.com. He doesn't take any corporate PAC money. So uh, like the other successful candidates that we've, that we've seen, he relies exclusively on voters and regular folks like us. I think he says in the interview that his average campaign donation is $28. So please go support James Thompson. And I hope you guys enjoy this interview. Well, welcome James Thompson to the Blue Revolution podcast. Uh, thank you very much. I'm excited about this. Thank you for inviting me on. It's great to have you here, James, and it's great to have you as a member of Blue Revolution, too. We've had a lot of candidates this year. I think you're the eighth or ninth one, maybe, that we endorse to our uh, actually group members. And this group is is very grassroots from the bottom up, and, and we're excited to have people running for office, especially for uh, for federal office, as you are. 
James, if you could just tell us a little bit about your background and why you would be good for the 4th District in Kansas in the House of Representatives. Sure. I, I grew up in Oklahoma City. Uh, actually grew up extremely poor in poverty. Ended up being homeless at one point. Uh, my stepfather had moved, who I lived with, had moved to Florida. And we went down there. Uh, he was supposed to have had a job. It was my stepfather, my five-year-old brother, seven-year-old brother, and then me. I was 16 at the time. Uh, and a friend of his. And we got down there. The job fell through. We were homeless. And not that it's funny in any way, but uh, it reminds me of the Chris Farley. You know, we lived in a van down by, you know, the river, uh, essentially, mm. uh, for about four months. Came back here. Uh, I got emancipated. Went back to school and finished up on time. When I was in high school, though, my, I had a high school teacher who told me if I wanted to break this cycle of poverty, get out of, of this, that I needed to get myself educated. And if it wasn't for him, I would not be here today. So Charles Tweed was a big influence on me as a high school teacher. And I went in the military after I served in the United States Army Presidential Honor Guard for four years in Washington, D.C. I was honorably discharged and then moved back here to Wichita, went to school at Wichita State University, and then from there went on to law school at Washburn Law School, got out, been practicing civil rights since I got out, and um, concentrating on trying to help people. While I was in law school, I started the Veterans Legal Association of Washburn, continued that support for veterans once I came back to Wichita, organizing our bar association to provide free legal services to uh, homeless veterans here in our community during the stand-down event. I'm married. I have two beautiful daughters, one who is almost 13. Her name's Liberty, and then another one that we just had four months ago. Her name's Adriana Justice, and decided to run because on November 9th, which is actually my birthday uh, of 2016, when Trump had won, my then 11-year-old daughter, Liberty, uh, had asked me, she, she didn't understand how Trump could win after he had said the things he said about women, and I I didn't have an answer for her. Uh, Bernie had inspired our entire family. We got out and we caucused for him, and we would listen to the debates, and Liberty would take part in it, etc. And one of the things that I realized after Trump won is that I could no longer just sit behind my Facebook keyboard and be a you know Facebook warrior, that I needed to get out and do something. I was going to run for a local office here, but then Mike Pompeo's uh, appointment to the director of CIA opened up the possibility of running for Congress, and I had people approaching me saying that I should run for that, and we did. And rather than follow the conventional wisdom of running you know, a conservative campaign, we ran a progressive campaign, very much uh, like Bernie's, and we shocked the country. We were the first special election after Trump had won and had been sworn in as president. The people here had responded to Bernie before. He had won here two to one versus Hillary. And we have a lot of progressive people in Kansas that want to see progressive change. They want to see the big money out of politics. They want to see power returned to working people, not just big corporations. And we, with 60 days, we came within six points of uh, flipping this district blue, which was 20 points better than Hillary had done. It was about 30 points better than the previous Democrat who had ran, and we did better than any Democrat has done here in the past 20 years, and flipped the largest city in Kansas, um, blue. Uh, when we did lose, uh, we lost because it took the president, the vice president, uh, the Speaker of the House, Senator Cruz, Roberts, and former Senator Dole campaigning in the last couple of days for Ron Estes for them to win it, because we had been tied up to that point. And uh, you know, we didn't get any support from the 
National Democrats, uh, from the party anyway, we got all of our supports on, at a grassroots level. We had 29,000 individual donations, which sets a record for any congressional campaign in Kansas, wow. and an average of $28. So I, I think that the reason we did so well, though, is we concentrating on getting out the vote and then getting out to people, and that we made 330,000 phone calls, 220,000 texts, knocked 40,000 doors um, with just an army of volunteers that were motivated to flip this district. And so when I lost, I immediately reannounced, and we've been working every day since then to continue building that infrastructure that we started so that in 2018 we can finish Ron Estes off and, and take a progressive to Congress from Kansas. So you mentioned $28, an average of $28 per donation. I think that that's yep. one of the coolest things that's happened in the last few years. And that really started with Bernie, right? I mean, he had a, yes. his famous line was uh, $27, I think it was, per, per donation. So, mm-hmm. And you mentioned, you know, money in politics. And I think we, we've had a couple debates uh, within the group the last couple of days about specific Democrats who were voting for pieces of legislation that the progressive base didn't really agree with. And it really always comes back to money in politics. I think it's one of those things where whatever argument you get into in American politics these days, you sort of weave through this wormhole and eventually you get mm-hmm. to the problem of money in politics. So <laughs> I wonder if you have any specific suggestions or specific policy points that you want to make about money in politics or what you would do about this uh, if elected. Well, the very first thing that we've got to do, if if, if we want to fix the problems that we see out there. We've got to fix the system first. And the system is broken because we allow corporate money in. We allow bribery, in, in essence. It's legal bribery uh, to pay off officials. And we've seen that influence grow and grow in the Natural Citizens United. It just skyrocketed. Right. Uh, you know, we, are, we are in the home of the Koch brothers. So, I mean, they are the dark Sith of uh, dark money. <laughs> right. And that they are flooding the, the market with it. So... Um, If we want the people to have power, then we need to return that power to the people by preventing corporations and dark money from flowing in and influencing elections. It should be one person, one vote, not one dollar, one vote. The things that we need to do, though, because we have a Supreme Court decision that that allows this dark money, allows these corporations to be treated as humans, there's only really two ways to fix that. And that's with a reversal of the Supreme Court's decision because it was based on the Constitution and – Given the current structure of the Supreme Court and makeup of it, that's just not likely anytime soon. So the only way to to stop this is going to be an amendment to the Constitution to stop that kind of money from coming in. You know, that's one of the things that we've been talking about is that going into 2018 and 2020 is too far away to think about. But going into 2018, we'd really like to get as many progressives on record running for office as we can saying that they want a constitutional amendment to get rid of Citizens United. I think that. It's, it's really kind of the, uh, the, the base of many of our problems right now. Uh, what, what, whatever problems you're talking about, health care, uh, gun legislation, uh, what, what, whatever it is, Citizens United is, is, is a real problem. So we're really glad that you're on record with that. No, yeah, that's, I mean, it's exactly right. Like I said, you, to fix the problems in the system, you've got to fix the system first, and the system is broken. James, if you could, t- you know, one of the great things that we're seeing this year especially, and it's been building, I think, ever since uh, the the war's last decade, but we've seen more and more and more veterans uh, stand up and start running for office, particularly on the progressive side. 
I wonder why you think that's happening because I've, I've, you know, I've talked to some progressive veterans about this before, and it's really kind of fascinating to hear them talk about what their experiences were in the military and, and how that kind of translates into the kind of public service you're aiming to provide when you run for office. I've been very, very proud uh, of seeing the veterans that are out there running and, and really glad that they are stepping up. I mean, most of the, the progressive veterans that I have spoken with, you know, we, we took our oath seriously that we took when we entered the military, which was to protect and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. You know, I think after the nomination and then the win of Trump and then the influence of the Russians, I think a lot of veterans um, like myself see that as you know, domestic enemies that are hurting our country and destroying our country. And, and we felt a need to step up. Uh, because we're seeing a perversion of the, of the Constitution that we swore to defend. A perfect example was the, well, should athletes be allowed to kneel and, and should they be punished, etc. I mean, the whole purpose of the military is to defend our way of life, to defend our Constitution. And one of those rights is freedom of speech and freedom of expression. When our own president is calling people out for expressing themselves, that's a problem. People like myself, we signed up, we enlisted, we agreed to you know, write that blank check to the United States military so that people could have those freedoms. Right. And it was, it's offensive to me to see those freedoms being taken away by a government that uh, is getting out of hand and seems to be pushing towards fascism. So. Right. And in fact, you know, Colin Kaepernick was kneeling because of a request from a military member who, exactly. uh, who asked him not to not to sit on the bench, but to kneel. So uh, the, f- the fact was, this was actually some kind of symbolic compromise to begin with. Right. So. Um, well, and, and that's that's a great point, Dan, in that, you know, when you I, I did my time in the presidential honor guard, meaning I did a lot of funerals in Arlington Cemetery. And a lot of times the um, person who hands a flag to the. Um, family member will kneel down on one knee and hand the flag over to the family member. So that was a, a Navy SEAL, as I recall, who had contacted Kaepernick and, and asked him to kneel as a sign of respect, but still allow him to make the point that he wanted to. Right. Um, which was, it was a great compromise. Uh, it, it's not, you know, it wasn't a sign against uh, the uh, standing for our anthem. It was, Hey, we're trying to point out a problem here, and using the platform that we you know, are blessed to have, as far as an athlete goes. And I thought it was disgusting when we saw some of the the comments that were made and some of the um, attempts by our government, in the form of our president and others, to discourage free speech. So. Right. Well, James, we've been having a debate within the party, and uh, particularly on the, within this group, about whether we should uh, win as progressives by sticking to principles and kind of fighting and being uncompromising in our beliefs, uh, much like the other side often does, or whether we should take a more conciliatory stance and a softer tone so that we can reach out to moderates and even sort of center-right uh, Americans. I wonder where... You stand on this question, um, and and what your thoughts are on this. I, I had a, I participated in a uh, video conference with Nina Turner, who's the head of our revolution. Um, I don't know two months ago, and one of the things that she said has stuck with me, which is that we need to be hard on issues and soft on people. Um, and you know, instead of calling somebody out saying, "Well, you voted for Trump," I don't want to even listen to you. It needs to be, "Well, you know, I don't care who you voted for. Let's talk about the." 
the issues that we need to try to resolve and see what we can do there. I believe that we need to stand strong on our progressive values, but I think that we also have to make sure that when we get to Congress, we recognize that Congress is made up of 435 representatives and then 100 senators from all over the country. So, you know, me running here in Kansas, um, maybe I, you know, I fit my uh, district, but maybe I wouldn't if I lived in California or you know Massachusetts or Florida. So we need to understand that there are different cultures around the, the country that we need to you know, try to respect and, and group all of that and mold together those beliefs and views with some hardline stances that you know we just need to not move away from. I mean, I you know, women's health care is a perfect example. I mean, I, I don't think that there is a middle ground there and that you can't take away a woman's right to control our own body. If, if you do, then you know, that's that's something that we can't just give into. We have to stand strong on that and make sure that that, that right remains protected. Right. You know, right now we have a healthcare debate going on though too, and I want Medicare for all. To get Medicare for all though, Democrats have to take back Congress because the Republicans aren't going to vote for it. So the only way to get that is to take back Congress. And if we don't do that in 2018 or 2020, then we need to be looking at other options that we can do to help provide healthcare to as many people as possible. And, and maybe that's not getting a full Medicare for all plan, but maybe we can get a public option in. And so you have to be able to go in and compromise. I mean, politics a lot of times is the art of compromise, but knowing that there are some values that you just can't not compromise on trying to work within that framework. James, I think you just gave us an episode title, Hard on Issues, Soft on People. <laughs> well, that, that credit goes to Nina Turner. Um, she's the one that, <laughs> that told us. And I, I, like I said, it's, it's stuck with me ever since. Rather than say, oh, you're a Republican or you're a conservative, I'm not going to listen to you. I, you know, I, I try to set that aside and say, well, let's just talk about the issues and policies and point out how progressive policies are better and why they're better rather than you know the personal attacks that we've seen so frequently in, in politics lately. And you were actually endorsed by Our Revolution and Democracy for America, right? How did that come about? Well, I was endorsed in the special election by Our Revolution. We're still working on that now. They changed their, their process for getting the um, endorsement. Uh, and to do that, you've got to get your local and then you go up. And so we're in the process of getting our local reformed again so that we can get that endorsement. I, I hope to get it again. Democracy for America endorsed us during the special. They have endorsed us again this time around. You know, it's a matter of us reaching out to them uh, the first time around. And then I think this time, I could be wrong. I think they reached out to us, but uh, I'd have to go back and look. But either way, it was uh, having a communication with them, making sure that we were on the same page policy-wise and uh, wanting to make sure that we we're pushing consistent values. And so we were really excited about uh, both of those endorsements. And, you know, we've received several more that we've been very excited about and pushing all of them, pushing progressive principles. In this group, we have been interviewing some people from red states, uh, particularly in Texas. And Texas right now has a groundswell of progressive activity going on. And, yes, it does. And prog- <laughs> Exactly. And progressives for years have been talking about how they want to turn this state purple and it could be coming any year now. I wonder if there is any inkling of this happening in the deep red state of Kansas. Uh, very definitely there is. And, and that's one of the reasons why we thought that we could win in 2017 is because we'd already started seeing some of that. In 2016, you know, our uh, state legislature picked up 13 representative seats and one Senate seat, uh, which was the largest uh, percentage pickup of any of the uh, states around the country. 
And then we had the Women's March. We've had some other marches here uh, around Wichita, again, which is the largest city in Kansas. And we've seen a lot of uh, a progressive movement. And then when Bernie ran, of course, he took the state uh, two to one against Hillary. He was overwhelmingly the popular choice here. We believe that if Bernie had gone on to uh, win the nomination, that he would have won Kansas um, in the presidential election as well, because there were a lot of Republicans that liked what Bernie was talking about. Uh, we still see a lot of, of that support here. So there's definitely a lot of support. And then I think my campaign just kind of really hammered that home and that we saw our campaign do something in 60 days that the Democrats have not been able to do here in the past 20 years. Right. And then you fast forward to now, we've got you know Brent Welder that's up in the third district uh, that's running. We've got uh, progressive values being pushed uh, at the national level and the state level. I, I think that there's a lot of progressive movement here. And I think that after the elections in 2018, we're going to see uh, at least two progressive congressmen come out of Kansas. Yeah, because one of our actually we've got a lot of great progressives from Kansas in the group in Blue Revolution. Actually, Elisa, who is one of our great, great, mm-hmm. amazing moderators, is a volunteer in your campaign. And yes. she was really excited uh, that this interview was happening and that we're going to be doing uh, and that we did an endorsement of you. So great to hear some uh, people from because I'm from Massachusetts and I grew up in Massachusetts and then I lived in New York for 11 years. So I've, um, I've been really inspired by the people in Alabama, Texas, now in Kansas, uh, around the country and Oklahoma too. We're actually endorsing someone (laughs) in Oklahoma, if you can believe it or not in a couple of weeks. And, and, uh, they flipped a bunch of races this year. So it's, it's all happening everywhere. Well, and, and I think that it's, it's people listening to the people in their district and going out and talking to them. I mean, it's, it's, it's really a swing back to to the left that pendulum is coming back because the people here have been in kansas anyway you know we've been having this conversation of conservative values for a long time and then that's been destroying our economy here and people are tired of ultra conservatism Uh, they want practical solutions they want common sense they want power returned to the people and so we're we're seeing that now the one thing i will say is one of the great things that we saw during the special election is we had so much support from not just Kansas, but from around the country, you know, Massachusetts, New York, Seattle, California, Nebraska, uh, Minnesota. I mean, we, we had it from all over the place. So it, it's, it's not just a movement, I think, limited to blue states or red states. I think it's a national movement. You know, I think Bernie did a great job of waking up a lot of people in this country that there is a better way to do things that starts with returning power to everyday citizens, working people. Well, one of the things that I see that kind of has something to do with this this uh, this issue of of turning red states blue or at least purple is the fact that, you know, when you look at sort of public opinion between the left and the right in America, what sort of political scientists have tended to say is that most Americans agree with Republicans and conservatives on tone and sort of, um, you know, the, the overall kind of symbolism of what they're saying. Whereas they agree overwhelmingly with progressives on actual individual issues. I wonder if there's any issues that you think could be sort of crossover for us to appeal to uh, moderates, people who are center right and even people on the on the right. There are. Um, you know, and, and that's, of course, one of the things that we're trying to do here is, you know, well, what issues can we you know, reach out to the other side on. And I think that infrastructure is, is an easy one. And that's uh, both sides really think that we need to work on our infrastructure now. Sure. How that gets paid for, you know, it may be another issue. But right. uh, infrastructure is, is a great way. Uh, here in Kansas, you know, a lot of times our rural farmers are, are much more conservative than they are 
uh, in urban areas. But the things that we're hearing from them is infrastructure, making sure that the, you know they have roads to get their product to market, making sure that the healthcare system is intact and functioning. We have hospitals in, uh, that are looking at being closed here. So I think that that is a crossover issue for us in Kansas anyway, is making sure that um, our healthcare system is maintained because we have not expanded Medicaid. And that's resulted in a lot of problems with our hospitals here. Just making sure that the economy is good, making sure people have the ability to get a a good job that that pays a living wage and that you have the ability to move your product to market like for our farmers. So we need some targeted trade deals and make them more beneficial to the United States. And I think that having targeted trade deals that allows our farmers to move their product to market on an international level but also protecting our workers in the auto industries, the steel industry, et cetera, is a good thing. Well, James, I wonder if there's any other issues that you'd like to mention, either either Kansas local issues or national sort of federal issues that you think would be worth mentioning to the audience here that, that you have a particular passion for. Or maybe you mentioned them all, but if, if you haven't, the floor is yours. <laughs> Well, there's, there's two issues that pop into my head. Uh, the first is veterans, making sure that we are protecting them. As a veteran, I'm very concerned about making sure that our veterans have the care that they need when they get back and that we're taking care of them. If, if we've got enough money to send them to war, then we sure as hell ought to have enough money to take care of them when they come back. Sure. And we're not seeing that across the board. We're seeing problems in the VA, problems with the choice program that they have where they're not paying bills and so some of these veterans are getting put into collections for medical bills that the VA should be paying. So th- there are definite issues there. And then we have you know the issue of PTSD that has affected my own family. Uh, my former brother-in-law took his own life and I had to sit my niece down and explain to her what had happened with her father and I hope nobody ever has to go through that. Um, but we know unfortunately that 22 of our veterans are, are taking their own lives a day on average and we need to do something to better increase health care, not just for veterans, but across the board for people suffering from mental health issues. Um, so that's one. The other one is you know, the issue of guns. People have you know, assumed that Democrats want to ban all guns. I don't. I own my own guns. Uh, I don't like the idea or believe in the idea of a ban. But what I do believe in is having some responsible gun regulations put in place to stop what we're seeing. That begins with allowing the CDC to start studying these issues and removing the peeling the Dickey Amendment, which prevents that. It starts with a universal background system that actually works and has good data in it because a background system is, is simply not going to work unless we make sure that there's good data there. But we have to be willing to sit down and have these discussions based on not just emotion, which is what we're seeing on both sides, but also what does the law tell us, what does the Constitution tell us, what does our Supreme Court tell us, and then what can we do within that framework to make sure that we are doing something. Because right now, kids are continuing to die, and that's just unacceptable. We have to go on that issue and make sure that we solve, um, or at least beginning putting some solutions in place on that problem. James, this has been a great conversation. And and by the way, I do want to thank you for your service. And, and everyone in Blue Revolution, uh, I'm sure, agrees with me. Um, thank you. I really hope that you can bring your experience that you've had serving our country to the U.S. Congress. We could definitely use a lot more of it. And uh, it's, it's so great that so many veterans are running this year, and, and particularly that they're going to be working on veterans' issues. Uh, PTSD is a, is a huge problem for veterans. It, it, it definitely goes under the radar, and uh, we definitely want to do something about that. We are 34 weeks away from the election. You narrowly 
lost the 2017 special election race by about 7,600 votes. Uh, we are really geared up here in Blue Revolution to try to help you and other progressives out around the country. What can we What can we do to help you out? Well, the, the first thing you can do is go to votejamesthompson.com um, and sign up to volunteer. Uh, if you can, donate, please. Obviously, we need uh, to get those uh, grassroots donations in. But we have uh, the ability to have phone banks conducted uh, from anywhere in the country uh, so that people can you know, sit at home and do the phone banking. It shows up as a local area code number and uh, help us get the word out about issues, help us get the word out about um, registering to vote. We have a goal of registering 20,000 new voters in our district alone. Wow. Um, so pushing that. Uh, we have a texting program where people can text from anywhere in the country as well. Um, again, pushing out issues, get out the vote, and, and name recognition. And then if you happen to be here in the 4th District, or if you want to come down in the 4th District um, of Kansas, you know we're going to be knocking doors as soon as the time changes and, and things warm up a little bit. We're going to be just out crushing the ground game, making sure that we are knocking on as many doors and, and turning as many people on to progressive principles and values here so that we can finish those last few points and, and flip this district blue. I was talking to Elisa and some of the other mods about having some kind of live feed from your campaign headquarters going to Blue Revolution <laughs> on November 6, 2018. So hopefully we can break the champagne out that night. And, and we'd love to have you in Congress, James. So I want to thank you so much for the interview. And we will we will do everything we can to get you into office. Hey, Dan, thank you so much. I appreciate this. Uh, thank you to Blue Revolution. Thank you guys for doing all that you're doing right now to help push progressive principles all around the country. It's great. We need more people like you. So thank you so much. Great. Thanks, James. Take care. Go to VoteJamesThompson.com. Also check out Patreon.com slash Blue Revolution. 33 weeks to the midterms, everyone. We'll see you soon.